Hey, welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I'm a music producer and product manager. And I'm Carter, a PhD student and writer. And today we are talking about when to quit a project. And so the big exigence for this episode is during the life of a project, there are a lot of ups and downs. The revision process can be long, it can be challenging, but the answer doesn't seem to be always keep going forward. Like some projects, as you're revising, as you're working through, they may just need to get abandoned. So how can we tell which projects need to be concluded, abandoned, let go, and how can we tell which projects just need more time? Maybe put it in a drawer. Maybe you know, send it out for some peer review to have someone else kind of give you some fresh eyes on it. So how do we determine that is the big question today. I'm really excited about this because I read this really short book earlier this year called The Dip by Seth Godin, which if you haven't read it, it's a very short book. You could read it maybe two hours in an afternoon, but it's a very simple idea. This would be helpful for me even to go over maybe the overview of the book and then explain the core idea because it ties right into this idea of quitting. Yeah, that's great. It's come up a lot in my life, but it's this question of when should you quit the project, right? So the first part of the idea is that rarity breeds value. And so if you think about any sort of marketplace or it's kind of just basic economics of like the more scarce something is, the more demand that it's likely for that to be something that people really want. And so that's the basic idea of really rare top 1% people, brands, organizations get a lot more value than the other 99%, right? And so how do you get that rarity is the question. Let's go into the creative field here. Why is a creative skill set of video editing rare? Because it's hard. And so then that goes to the, the part of this idea, which is the dip, right? The dip is simply a graph and it's the cover of the book. If you type it in on Google, you'll see, or you can look in the show notes for a link. It's just a simple graph that curves up and then dips down into a valley and then goes back up to a really high mountain peak, if you imagine it that way. And it's this idea that whenever you start something new, it's really easy at first. You get a lot of quick wins, a lot of dopamine hits, and it's really exciting. And you think it's the best thing ever. And then it just sort of tapers down into this valley of like, this sucks. This is really hard. I don't know if I should finish this project, this album, this novel, this screenplay, whatever. And then you have this sort of slow climb back up to a higher point, which is this excellence or actually on the project level, it's like you finish the book, but on more of like a career level, you actually really mastered a skill set. And so I think this idea applies maybe in different levels of your career and projects and different scenarios in your life, but it's very simple. Just things are easy at first and then they get hard. And then you either, a lot of people quit, but if you quit in the middle of the dip, that's what everyone else does. That's where 99% of people drop off. So the people who find all of that value we talked about at the beginning are the ones who can persevere through the dip and get to the other side of it. And so if we know that this is the chart that most projects and most skill sets takes us on, before we go commit to writing a novel, we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to go through the dip or is it not worth it? Know when you want to quit before you start the project. And then whenever you're having a bad day and you're feeling emotional, you don't quit then because beforehand you said, no, I'm only quitting if X, Y, and Z happens. And that hasn't happened. I'm just feeling unmotivated today. So I'm still going to put in the work. So I'll, I'll stop there, but that's like the idea of the dip. And 
when I read it, it helped bring into perspective a lot of the experiences I've had. And there was a resonance of like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. What do you think about it though? Yeah, I really like it. I think that it touches on two things. One, we've talked about this a lot before. Getting to that top 95% is actually a lot easier than we might think. And so we've mentioned like you read three books on a subject, you're going to know more about it than most people know. And so to me, that's like the quick climb. Maybe I, you know, I commit 12 hours worth of reading towards this subject, right? You're, you're immediately going to climb this massive mountain. But then the move from the 95% or from, like you said, the 99 to that kind of area of expertise is really slow and grueling and difficult. And so I, immediately I feel like that connects with a lot of the other conversations we've had. But two, the thing that I really like about this idea is the concept of thinking about the dip before getting into something. Because the first kind mm-hmm. of example that came to my mind was guitar. So it's like, I play guitar and I think I am at the part of playing guitar before the dip. So I, I can play decently well. You know, I've played for a lot of years. I can, you know, chords and, and melodies and some pentatonic scales. But I know in order to get off the plateau, right, I would have to go through the dip. And so it's music theory, right, uh, different arpeggios, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that I'm like, I don't have the time nor the desire to commit that, you know, thousands of hours through the dip to get to some mm-hmm. expertise. So that's okay. It's like, I enjoy playing guitar. That's a skill set. I'm not going to be in, you know, anywhere towards the top escalon of playing, but I've, you know, learned a lot in, you know, 10, 12 years I've played. And so for me, I was like, oh, that's really helpful. It's like, there's some things that I'm just like, oh, I, I don't have any interest becoming <laughs> an expert in this because it costs a lot of time, effort, and life to become an expert in anything. And so immediately my mind is thinking, like, you really got to get careful and specific about, hey, here are the couple of things that I can afford, might be the right word, like in a broader sense, afford to go through the dip to achieve. Like, what are those couple things? Because I think inherent in the idea is that you're not going to be in the 1% of many things, you know, maybe one thing, maybe a couple things. I just think that I like the idea of, of framing a project or framing a skill set and saying, can I even get through a dip or should I? And so I think that was really helpful for me. Yeah. And I think what you just said brings up the question in my mind is like, when, when do you apply this idea? Because maybe I just want to learn, work on my cooking, but Maybe there's a scenario where I don't have to like (laughs) overthink it and just be like, okay, I'm not going to actually start investing in my cooking at all because I can't go through the dip. Like I'm not going to become a sushi, a master chef. It's like, no, like it's okay to just be interested in that first part of the climb, like you said, which is the first 10 hours or 20 hours of learning. Like we talked about Josh Kaufman's idea of the first 20 hours. Oh, that was it. That was the link. Invest the first 20 hours. Sure. But I think it's helpful if you're trying to think through like, should I commit to doing a big project? Should I, like, I'm thinking through this area of my career. Do I want to move in that direction? I, I don't think that you should. it should necessarily stop you every time is what I'm trying to say. Like maybe that's a nuance yeah. in here because yeah. maybe sometimes you need the first five, 10 hours of something to just decide, let me feel out. Sure. How good does this feel? And of course, it's it's going to be a dangerous game because 
let's let's come up with an example. Let's say I want to, I'm like on the fence, like, should I make an EP this fall? Should I write an album or something? And so then I'm like, well, let me just get into it again and see if I feel good about it. Well, maybe at first, the first five hours are going to feel awesome. And then hour 17 is like horrible. And then hours 17 through 50, and it takes 50 or 60 hours to make this album, like then hours 17 through 50 that I invest are going to be really hard. So I also, all I'm trying to say is maybe you could get deceived if the first, you are always know the beginning is going to, it's probably not going to feel better than the beginning in most cases in terms of difficulty of like a project. Sure. But there's just a lot of nuance because I could see a scenario where you need to spend those first few hours to sort of prototype, see if it's a good idea. And then you're like, oh, there's actually nothing there. And I'd rather spend my fall really reading. So I'm going to actually not do this project. But then other times you really need to just commit before you even do anything and say, or maybe after your first two or three hours and say like, okay, I'm going to decide now that I'm either committing to see this through to the end, even if it sucks, or I'm going to say no. And I feel like that's for a bigger project that has a high level of commitment to it. That's where you need this. You don't need this if it's going to be a five-hour project. Just do it. Don't do it. No big deal. If we're talking about something that's going to take a sizable chunk of your life, like multiple weeks, months, um, or years, and something that's going to take a lot of your energy and your time every week, and just like free rent in your mind, you know, then sure. Um, I think that's the scenario. But like, what, how would you decide when to use this, I guess. Well, that's one of the things I really like about it that you just communicated is like it scales differently. Like we can think about this as a skill set and that's probably going to be, you know, a lifelong pursuit. And hopefully you get through a dip and we won't try to assign numerical values to when this happens. But you can also think about it in like little small sections. Like I think when we first talked about this, I might've said sometimes a project is like a hundred of these little dip graphs connected together. Mm-hmm. Like you're kind of moving through some growth and a dip, growth and a dip. And so I think you could characterize a whole project like this. You could characterize parts of a project like this. And so one of the neat things about the heuristic here is that you can apply it in different ways. And so I think there, there are probably a lot of ways. No, I'll, I'll kind of be a little more firm. <laughs> there are definitely a lot of ways that the dip can get overlaid onto projects and skill sets. So then maybe an interesting question. I have a, an example in my life that we could talk about later, but I'm kind of curious, like let's say you're in the dip and this res, this idea connects with you because because you're like, I'm really stuck on something and I, I feel like I'm in that, that valley of the graph and not in one of the other sections or maybe I'm climbing through the hardest part right now. What are the things that you do whenever you feel like you're in that, whether you're writing a paper or you're in the middle of the academic year and you're mm. burnt out, you know, like what are the things that help you to sort of like get unstuck in those, those areas? And it's fun because we've been asking like, sure with these interview episodes, it's been cool. Cause we asked, you know, Will Mason, his was like collaboration. I feel like talking to Cole, it was like, I want to say it was just like, just write and just have routines. Yeah. Um, he was like, I don't really believe in writer's block. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, right? His was yeah. a little different, but. And then I think Tyler said going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's, I think there are a lot of, that's a, you know, that's a big question. It's fun to ask people, right? I think there are a lot of things for me. Reading is really helpful when I'm stuck writing. 
because it's just, you're just encountering influences that are better than you all the time. Doing something physical, going to play pickleball, taking a walk, preparing a delicious meal. Like all these things are really rejuvenating for me to get through this. And I do think it, it requires a lot of knowledge about the project itself. Like I feel like the big question or the big thing that I've learned in graduate school, there are some things that you need to push through the dip and there are some things that you do not. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I came into graduate school thinking every single thing is going to have this dip. You know, I'm going to get it to this point, but to really get it, you know, perfect, not perfect, but to get it really, really good, it needs this. And the first thing that hit me was I physically cannot do everything like that from classes to teaching to grading to all these things. There has to be kind of a hierarchy of value. And so the first lesson I feel like for me was what things need that 1% because not everything needs that 1%. Oftentimes, just getting up to the top of the first mountain before this long plateau of the dip is perfectly fine. It's where it needs to be. And it would actually be detrimental for me to spend, (laughs) let's give a funny example, five hours on composing an email to make it the most beautiful email when I'm just trying to respond to professor or student about when to schedule office hours. Like there's some things Mm. that you do not need to push through the dip. And I feel like a big thing for me was recognizing, and this might be really tied to our conversation about quitting, recognizing what things I value, what things need to be in that 1% or 5% or however we want to say it. So that was big for me. Yeah, that's so good. And it it ties in with this lesson I've been learning this year. There is a product manager, Shriyas Doshi. He's a really well-respected product manager in the product community. And he said that when he was working at Google or this really big startup, he was like kind of drowning in, in, in tasks because he was a perfectionist. And so it took him a while, but he realized there's these, there's these three buckets that tasks can fall into. There's leveraged tasks, neutral tasks and overhead. And it's kind of a little mathematical, but it's like there's tasks that if I put in one, I get 10 back. There's tasks where I put in one and I get one back. There's tasks where I put in one and I lose five. It's this <laughs> idea where it's like the the email to a colleague, it's like, there's no need to, you don't get a ton back from that. Sure, you just need to sure. send it. That's neutral. It's It's something you need to do, but it's that. And then there's like, this admin thing that you probably ought to do, but you don't have to do. And it's going to take you six hours and it's not really that helpful. That's an overhead. And then there's the thing that you could do quickly, but if you made it just a little bit better, you could have that article shared with another 10,000 people. Love that. And it gets made once and it's shared endlessly. And so like there's these, just that simple framework is about establishing your values and saying, hey, not every single thing on my task list is of equal importance. There's things that seem really important, but they're really not. I'm going to not be a perfectionist and give myself permission to actually do a bad job on that so that I can do a really, really good job on this one or two things that really matter. But I will be honest, like I've tried using that for a few months and it's hard. It's really hard for me because I start either marking everything as a leverage task or I mark everything as neutral. And then I'm like, does it matter? Like, so it's still something that I'm struggling with, but it, it really resonates with me what you said that we need to have like a hierarchy of what do I care about? This is awesome. Okay. So that kind of paradigm kind of blew my mind. I'm like, oh, that's an awesome structure with these different buckets. Let's push in for this for a second. Um, 
what do you think has been the greatest difficulty? So you said this a little bit. You're like, I either put everything in one bucket or the other bucket. What are the questions? What's what's making that partitioning difficult? I'd love to just hear more about kind of your experience using this mental model. Well, so I use like a Kanban type board, you know, with my task list. So like it's, you know, there's columns for like to do, doing, uh, waiting for someone to talk, to hear, to hear back from someone and then done. And uh, as cards move through this, I, I or when I create a card, I try to tag it now and say, is this leverage neutral or overhead? Oh, cool. And, you know, green, gray, or uh, red. And so it's like, I can just quickly sort of see that color and just be like, okay, oh, that's green sweet. leverage. But I feel like the challenge is, there's two challenges for me. One, I've used a lot of different organization things in the past. And so then like, I think partially, like this is very specific to me, but the colors can associate with like the Eisenhower matrix or yeah. some of the other like mental models I've used for this in the past. And then I'm like sort of thinking in two different categories at the same time. So I'm not really, it's hard to basically shake sure. off old ones and only think about, is this truly giving me 10 X return? If I do it, I'm not always thinking that sometimes I'm like, if I marked it as leverage, then that feels like it's a big project. And if I marked it as yeah. neutral, it feels like it's a small task and that's not always true. So some of this is just like, I need to clarify the definitions in my own head. That's part of the problem. And then the other one is just like, it's hard to leave things unfinished and to to actually commit to being like, this doesn't matter that much. So I'm going to literally do half, just kind of do half the job and move on. And just, if I only can, if I only give myself an hour to do this and I only get half of it done, then that's all I get done and I move on. So then you have all these lingering like little things on my list and I'm like, do I finish them? Do I just get them out of my way? That's personally what I struggle with. Just, just giving myself the clarity I need, I guess. That's so good. Dude, you are a systems connoisseur. (laughs) I just love it. You're always trying out different (laughs) systems. Yeah. Which is, which is so fun. I mean, it's part of the reason why we, you know, one of the big topics of this podcast is us just talking about how these systems are going. Um, Mm -hmm. And that totally makes sense. Because it's like, what does the green color mean? <laughs> because even within the green, right, there are different variations, right? There, there's the non-identical in the green. Some mm-hmm. are one to five, some are one to 10, yeah. and then some might be one to 100, right? And so even within the hierarchy, it gets broken down to smaller bits. So I could see how that could be difficult to, yeah, difficult to kind of wrestle with. And I feel like that sense of, things are out there, loose ends hanging to get done. I feel that too, right? I, I really don't like, like, I don't like books hanging around long that haven't been finished, right? Like I want mm-hmm. to, I want to wrap them up. And so I, I totally mm-hmm. feel that within tasks. How do you think this system could help potentially evaluate when we quit a project? Like, is there a way that we can move? Is, is there a way that we can take the dip and this, you know, the three buckets here. L and O, yeah. The L, yeah, can we, can this help inform our decision to quit? Yeah. Hmm. All right, well, I was going to ask you, how do you <laughs> think through, uh, like, I want to hear your side of this from like yeah. the, you mentioned that you realize very quickly, okay, I've got grading, I've got classes, I've got uh, a sure. paper to write, I've got these books to read as an exam to prepare for. How do you set those values? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I have any specific answer to that. I mean, for me, it was just, 
at least early on, and this is kind of getting more complicated as I add dwelling to the mix and other work, which could be a cool topic here. The big thing I was recognizing, especially here at UK where I teach two courses and you know, you got 40 plus students to give feedback on, it can absolutely drain you like teaching. Like I heard someone say, and I think this is true, you preparing for a lesson will eat up whatever amount of time you want to give it. If you want to spend five hours preparing for a lesson, you can totally spend five hours preparing for a lesson, but you can't afford to do that. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it was learning, okay, hey, my teaching is really important to me, uh, my interaction with students, but I also have to remember I'm here to research, I'm here to write, I'm here to hone my skills as a scholar. And so right now, kind of finally, (laughs) this semester, I'm getting to where teaching, but I'm not taking classes and I'm working on the dissertation, working on the prospectus. And so for me, it's like, okay, I've got to kind of, I don't put numbers on it, but it's like 70% of my efforts got to be you know, within academics on my own scholarship, on reading, on doing these things. And then 30% of this has got to be on, you know, this individual task in front of me of getting the course outcomes filled out in Canvas and, and setting up the Canvas profile and, and the aesthetics of how the course is designed. And, you know, that can take as much percentage as possible. And so the 70-30 yeah. is kind of arbitrary, but it was just like, I'm waiting. Hey, don't forget the scholarship, the work, this has got to outweigh these kind of minutia of tasks of, okay, mm-hmm. do I really need to put another comment on this student's work? Like they don't look at it. <laughs> There's been some studies that are like, students take very little from comments you give, but you can literally put as many comments as you want on a paper mm-hmm. or something. So, you know, it's a balancing act of don't get these things unweighted because they're not. And yeah. it's it's really helpful and liberating. I mean, I think this is this is been more complicated now with like dwelling. It's like how much time do I give individual posts for dwelling? Right. Because they may be a one to 10, right? It's like the the one on Robinson Jeffers that I did has way more views than other ones. And I I didn't know that. And so it may be something like you do something for a publication or this and you're like, well, if a hundred thousand people saw this, and it was not 100,000 people, <laughs> right? Sure. Uh, you know, it was only 180 or so for mine, but that was a lot bigger than other posts. Would I be, could I stand behind this work? It, it's a question that I kind of wrestle mm-hmm. with. I mean, does it have to be the very best? And the same thing with like fiction writing. It's like, if I write a novel and I'm working on one and like, do I work on it for the next 20 years or do I try to do it in five years or yeah. two years, right? What sentence is good enough? It's tough. Yeah. The quitting question, I read a quote from Guy Davenport, and I'll throw, I'll throw it right to you just for this last thing. He's like, there's no magic solution of like, more hours don't mean better. <laughs> that was kind of like caveman speak. Uh, more hours, committing that doesn't mean that the product's going to be better. And like, that's hard to like, kind of wrap my head around. Mm, more is not always better. That's, yeah. there's, a, there's an idea there to like, that's a whole nother episode. But something that really stuck out with what you just said there's two two things here. Like you mentioned, the non-identical. So uh, you could have a task that's in that leverage bucket. It's like, there's a potential. I think that's the way that, that he would probably define it in this framework is like, does this have the potential of making a bigger impact? I'm sending sure. an email to a coworker 
it's this one coworker. There's not really any chance that they're going to share it with other people because of the topic. It's kind of just a internal admin task. That's probably very unlikely that if you made it 300 times better, you would have yeah. 300 times that you would have this crazy increase in sure. results, right? Because you're just asking them to schedule a meeting for Thursday at 12. So the answer is either yes or no, like, or a different time. There's not really any extra room, but as long as there's the potential for an outsized return, it kind of feels like that's what qualifies something to be, okay, this is an L task. This is a leverage task. So I'm going to be a perfectionist on this and I'm really going to go. And for you, yeah. it's like, there's a balance though, because here's the problem. It's not just as simple as saying, okay, articles are high leverage tasks because I can write it once and a million people can read it. That's what they'll say about writing. It's like, you just write on sure, a paper once sure. and then you can sell a million books. You can sell a million, you can have a million people read your Substack. It's like, that's true, but it's very unlikely for like the majority of articles exactly. on Substack. Exactly. And so then here's the problem. What part do you specifically spend more time on? Because sure. just blindly spending six more hours on your article isn't, isn't the thing. And you, and, and honestly, you can't even say, well, this topic is more popular than this one because you don't know yeah. if your other topic that you didn't think was going to be as good is actually the one people love because it's very common for artists sure. to like say, no, you know, John Mayer's like, it's going to be come back to bed. That's the song that's going to make this album huge. And then it's actually it's daughters that blows up. Right. Cause you just can't always guess what your audience loves. So then there's this black box almost of saying, what 10% of this specific project that I've set as an L leverage task is worth spending an extra two hours on and being perfectionist about? Yeah, sure. Is it the syntax? Is it the research? Mm -hmm. Like what is it? The title, the thumbnail or picture? Like literally there's so many different areas where your time could go. And then, to, yeah, this is so good. And to kind of go back to the example of like teaching, it's like, it's not even... Yeah, I'm trying to balance teaching and writing and, and scholarship, which is, again, not necessarily a 70-30, right? It's always fluctuating, but I've mm -hmm. got to remember kind of different weights. But even within teaching itself, some lessons are going to require more from me. Like mm -hmm. some lessons, when we first talk about revision, like that's a crazy important lesson, right? And so that's going to, that net needs more attention. And when we're following up on a reading to help reinforce an idea, that needs less attention from me. Right? And so there's, there's, there's always that kind of negotiation happening, like you said, even within tasks. The black box idea is also kind of cool. I, I'm reminded Steinbeck wrote a manuscript called Dissonant Symphony that hmm. he wrote and then he just threw away. And it was, it was experimental in form. It was very unlike what his other fiction, but he basically said, this style I don't think is going to be a good approach to capturing reality. And so for him, it was something that his values said, hey, I, I don't think this is valuable. And so mm -hmm. instead of trying to push through with this new experimental form to all the way and get it published, he's like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let it go. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that kind of sticks out of like, sometimes you have to, like no one but you can decide whether you think this is gonna be valuable. Um, mm -hmm. You've gotta say, hey, what is this worth? And that's a question you got to ask yourself. And you may not know, but I think sometimes it just comes down to what you value in a way. So then bringing it all the way back to the dip, it just is like, we got, that was a really good side trail because it's so interconnected. 
but you you just have this question when should i quit my project and part, maybe one helpful way to tie this back in is to just say is this an l in or o you know this project as a whole if we're on that sort of yeah, project or sure. or career level even like you can sort of be thinking of like is there is there still do I still believe in what I originally started whenever I made this project? Yeah. It's kind of similar to like That's what investors question. will ask themselves. Like, has there been a fundamental change in my belief whenever I first invested in this company to whenever, you know, maybe cool. the stock is down yeah. right now or something, but like did did the technology change? Did something big happen in the industry? Like was in there a an physical actual dip. fundamental <laughs> Yes, like a physical dip on the stock? It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, in the actual value of something, it's like, did the value actually go away or is this just a fluctuation because of some totally. PR thing or like, so I've just heard someone talk about that related specifically to like cryptocurrencies because obviously mm-hmm. those are crazy wavy. Sure. But it's like, well, do you still believe that it's going to pay out eventually? Similarly, it's like when I started this album or this screenplay, I had something and I believed in something. Has that changed? has the direction of my career or my life changed? Like, do I want it to? And then I think that the really helpful idea that I got from this book was like, think about those quitting criteria in advance and set a limit. Say, I'm going to work on this for one year and I'm only going to quit if after the first 25 posts of dwelling, I don't get more than 200 views per post or something like you have super specific like sure i i've tried i've done this i've done this i've done that and because if and when those things don't work out then i can quit otherwise i have proof and i have a reason to keep going and so i'm going to just push through that and you you say up front i'm not going to quit until i do at least 30 up 30 essays and i have and if i still have zero subscribers and i can't even convince my friends to do it like whatever yeah, whatever yeah, your yeah. criteria is, I feel like that's a really good takeaway for sure. Those are two super specific, helpful things. Those questions that you listed of, you know, has something fundamentally changed, right? Mm-hmm. And for the Steinbeck example, it did, right? He thought that this may be a way to right, capture something, but it wasn't. And so mm-hmm. it's was like, yeah, this is this, this pursuit has changed. It's kind of like a realization. So like, I love those questions. And then the idea of, of setting some marks beforehand are really helpful. And then if I could add one more here, to go back to something that you said, also trying to establish a clear reason or purpose or like ideal thing that this could accomplish could also be really helpful. So mm-hmm. if the if the best ideal version of the email is to decide on a time to meet, right? That's incredibly low, right? That that's that's not could this be kind of a lasting piece of art that I could contribute to the history of human art and, and literature? I mean, it's like, it's, it's yeah. not nearly the same, you know, metrics of what you're trying to accomplish it. And so it's like, mm-hmm. is sometimes you're going to do things that the utilitarian task is what needs to get done, right? The dishes need to get washed, right? We need to learn this. But other times, right, the goal is more substantial. And so I think, yeah, asking those questions, if it's changed, setting up some clear metrics for when and why and how you would quit. And then also saying, yeah, what's the goal here? Like, what's the purpose? Because if the purpose is small, you know, if the purpose is something that, you know, is is not as weighty, then, okay, maybe quitting needs to come earlier. Or maybe you don't, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the dip needs to say, oh, hit the dip. This is where it needs to be. I'm going to ship it. 
right? And so mm-hmm. I think also trying to get a clear, I think to stop my rambling, clear expectations I think are huge for setting up when you need to quit. Like you have to have a, con- a concept of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. My last thought, and then we can wrap, is uh, unless you have anything else, is whenever I started Song Maps, kind of documented the journey of that a little bit earlier in the podcast, I think, but it was this idea and I kind of knew what it was going to be, but I didn't have a clear goal necessarily for, okay, am I trying to, what am I trying to accomplish with this? Like, what's the end goal look like? Is it like, I need to make money from this or... I need to get like more, I want to find five new artists to work with yeah. that because they found my website, then they trust me as a producer, then I work with them. I didn't have a clear end goal and it got harder. It got tedious and I didn't have enough growth and I didn't push for enough growth either. And there was just like constant like stress around it for me because I was like, what's the purpose of this? Like, what am I trying to do? Like, I don't understand if I, do I want to monetize some way? Should I like be making like a course for me? And I was like, no, I shouldn't write a course. So then I'm just getting distracted by all these ideas and started doing like YouTube videos. And then I was like, I don't really want to do that. That's really stressful. And, and even starting the YouTube channel was like its own little dip project because it was like fun and exciting. And then it was like, this is hard. I'm not getting views and it's stressful to be on camera. And, all of these different things and wrestling through those things. And I think that if I had had this concept at that time and had a, like, let me write down some goal, a simple goal. And then like an anti-goal, like I, I don't want to do this. And I really do so want to do this. It's so good. And then whenever I got to that, that Saturday, whenever I was wrestling, whether I should do a YouTube video or not, should I shoot it today or not? It would just be sure. simpler. It would be like, I already made this decision. I just do it. I don't really want to right now, or I'm going to write this this newsletter again. I don't really want to, but I know this is a good idea and I'm going to just push through it because it's valuable and because it's going to get me to this goal. So I just wanted to throw in a case study for me because I feel like I did that project in a lot of ways, like in all the wrong ways where I wasn't clear on what it was. And so then I spent two weeks like setting up a website when I could have just used Substack for the whole time. And I never thought about that. And I was so focused on learning how to use Webflow that I wasn't really doing the thing, which was just write articles, basically. Yeah. So much like wasted time on it, but it was some good lessons. That's a super helpful example. And you, <laughs> you've you communicated all of these three takeaways much better than I have. But to sum up, some, you know, there may not be a clear, you know, we, we don't have a formula of when you should quit and there may not be a formula, but some things that can help you. One, set your goals from the beginning. Sounds basic, really important. Two, you know, evaluate whether your project or skill set is still, you know, in concert with the original ambition and the original value. And then, you know, also finally, you know, be thinking about whether the whole ambition, you know, how it fits into your broader constellation of values, right? Is is it doing something that you, that you value and that's worthwhile or is it accomplishing something that, you know, doesn't need to have this level of, of expertise or mastery or, or what that. So I think, I think that's a really, yeah. I mean, this has helped me think through this, just this conversation. Yeah. And I feel like there's something to be said about like not like getting rid of the shame of quitting. Like you're not a failure for quitting something in a way because like for me I I feel like I still wrestle with that with song maps I'm like ah should I be doing that still yeah but I don't want to be 
I don't want to be. And I still have those <laughs> articles. I could always go back and restart it. And so there's a freedom in, in, in having let go of that project and also just kind of the potential to like start again. You know, like it wasn't, I wasn't so deep into it that I was letting thousands of people down. It was very simple to quit. I just stopped. Yeah. And uh, for, for some things there, there is a time like just to decide that I wish I had done this right from the start, but I didn't. And I'm either going to push through and I'm going to cut the scope of what I'm doing in half and just get it done quicker because I just need to be done or I'm going to just completely stop this or reevaluate, like you said, and then, you know, push through. But I just say that for anyone, if there is anyone listening that's feeling that kind of thing, like it's, I know that's something I've felt. That's really good. You know, I'm reminded of that. I can't remember where we we talked about it, but it might've been minimalism, like the circle and then all the little lines going out from it. You know, sometimes it's a matter of consolidating effort too. And I think that's one of the great things that, you know, you accomplished through song maps. You tested it, you put time in. I thought you, you created a really worthwhile product. And then you said, you know what? I think I'm gonna take this energy for song maps and I'm gonna put it elsewhere, right? And so, I mean, yeah, sometimes quitting is just consolidating. Totally, 100%. On that note- Go quit something. Go quit something. <laughs> <laughs> quit everything. Thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby. If you liked this episode, please let us know. Send us an email and share some feedback. What you liked, what we can improve, what we could talk about in the future. You can email us at haycraftpodcast at gmail.com. And also- Uh, share this with one person that you think would like it and just send them a text. It really means a lot to us and is super helpful to growing the show. And lastly, our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewell.work or on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.